Episode 188 of the Shock Jock Knicks podcast on the Midtown and Rebound podcast network, all part of the Fans First Sports Network. Sean St. Jacques back here with you for another episode of the podcast, breaking down the Knicks and the NBA playoffs and plenty of offseason news before we even got into the offseason to get to as well. We will preview the Nuggets Heat NBA Finals. We'll recap a wild finish to both series in the conference finals as well. Some Knicks news to get to, not a lot, but some. And the coaching carousel has already broken out at the start of this NBA, nearly NBA offseason. Still one big series to go. We'll get to the news about the coaching carousel and the Knicks in a moment. We'll also preview again. We'll preview Miami and Denver in the NBA finals that kicks off, or tips off, I should say, in just a couple days' time in Denver. But first, we will look back at the conference finals. And actually, before we even do that, I do want to say big apologies from me. I've kind of dropped the ball over the last week or so with pod, po- beg your pardon, with podcasts. Lots been going on with my other job, personal life, things like that. Big apologies that I've not gotten out a podcast sooner, but I'm going to try my best to make it up for you today. So let's dive right in. Conference finals. We'll start with the Lakers and the Nuggets. I mean, this really ended up being not quite a non-series, but I will say Denver once again showing how deep they are how good they are when adversity comes their way in games and in series. They end up sweeping LeBron, AD, and the Lakers out of the playoffs. And I must say, the way they did it was rather impressive. Listen, Lakers were talking a little bit of junk before the series. Certainly after game one, they were talking a little bit of junk, saying we're going to get back into this series. It's just one game. We're going to change the tide of the series. And Denver came back, and they beat them again. In game two, then going back to LA, the the story was kind of like, all right, the Lakers are going to at least get one and send it back to Denver. Lakers got nothing. Lakers got a whole heap and helping a zippity doodah in this series. And Denver's defense, I thought really was the, the, the really dictated the outcome of this series. It really dominated the Lakers at times in this series. And I thought in games one and three in particular, the Lakers looked lost offensively and it really came down to the fact that really really two things number one LeBron has help around him but not enough help to win a championship I think that's pretty safe to say after this series but also AD completely gets neutralized for a good chunk of this series on the offensive end of the floor and you see what the Nuggets have as far as depth what they have as far as size that the Warriors just didn't have to deal with Anthony Davis They took full advantage of matchup mismatches in the paint in this series, and it really came back to haunt the Lakers, not having enough size down low. That 2020 team had the likes of Dwight Howard and others to help AD down low. They didn't have that this season. They didn't have that depth required to really go for it in the paint, so... AD was able to make it work in the Memphis series, and he was able to make it work, especially in the Golden State series. They just don't have enough depth uh, in the front court to really deal with it. 
but man, oh man, did the Nuggets expose the, the, the Lakers at times in the paint. And the Nuggets are just a really good three-point shooting team. I think that's another thing that's worth mentioning. Nikola Jokic was unbelievable. Jamal Murray was otherworldly at times in this series. Those two are going to be extremely difficult to stop in the NBA Finals, which we'll get to in a little bit. But tip your cap to the Denver Nuggets. What a season they're having. They will be the favorites to win the NBA championship. They're going to have a very good shot at it. Miami, we'll get to in a second, but it's clear that Denver are the favorites, and we will see how they're able to do in Game 1 in Denver coming up on June 1st. Just a couple days away, actually. It's coming up on Thursday. So let's dive into the other series, the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, I can't remember a roller coaster ride as windy and loopy as this one was in the in the Heat Celtics series. I mean, I will say this. When the Heat went up 3-0, I think that's the best way to start. And listen, this is one of my regrets. I wish we could have done this a little bit more within the series because there was so much to talk about. But looking back, when the Heat went up 3-0, I had a feeling the series was not going to end in four or five games. I kind of had a feeling Boston was going to play better, they were going to show some pride, and they were going to get back in the series. What I didn't expect was Boston to force a Game 7. I did not think that was going to happen. And... Listen, the Celtics survived game four. I think that's pretty fair to say. The first half looked like they could have gotten swept. I mean, I think there's really no debating that at this point. The Heat had Boston on the ropes in game four, and the Heat survived. Uh, You got to give them their due. They were able to survive and push it back to Boston for a game five. And then the, the Celtics took full advantage of getting it back to boston for a game five because they absolutely ripped the heat apart in game five you know listen game four the the celtics pulled away but the heat had them on the ropes for a little while in that game boston then absolutely smacks miami around in game five so going back for game six in miami my whole thought was boston i I, my whole thought was i don't think boston's gonna win But if they are going to win, the first half is really important. They've got to come out and get off to a great start. And they did. (laughs) They did. Boston completely controlled the game in game six. Miami looked like they were feeling the pressure. They really did. And for about three quarters, maybe three and a half, it, it was almost a certainty it was going back to Boston for a game seven. And then Miami... I mean, sometimes people poo-poo the Heat culture. Boy, did it show up in that fourth quarter. I think Miami was down 10 with two and a half, three and a half minutes left, something like that. Game was over. I mean, essentially, the game was over. And Miami comes back and takes the lead with three seconds left. Jimmy Butler gets fouled on a three with three seconds left, although there is a debate how much time should have been put back on the clock. But... Butler gets fouled. Celtics are up two when this happens. Butler gets fouled. He goes to the free throw line, and he's ice cold in the best possible way from the free throw line. Nerveless would be a better way to describe it. Three perfect, immaculate, spotless free throws from Jimmy Butler. 103, 102 heat with whatever it was. Three seconds left. You're thinking, 
Wow, one stop and the Heat are actually going to pull this off, pull this off, pull this out and win this series. And then one of the craziest finishes happens in maybe that I've ever seen in a playoff game. It's right up there. I've never seen a game in the NBA playoffs end the way that this game ended, which is Miami does exactly what they wanted to do defensively. Even Eric Spolster came out after the game and said, we did exactly what we were supposed to do there. Max Strews is supposed to help on Jason Tatum. Derek White's inbounding the ball. He's supposed to help on Tatum. The, the whole point of Miami's defensive set was to make someone else besides Jason Tatum take the last shot, and that's exactly what they get. They have The Celtics are forced to inbound it to Marcus Smart. I give a lot of credit, actually, to Marcus Smart because he gets the three up very quickly. If he waits a half a second, there's no chance for what ends up happening. He gets the three up. It almost goes in. I think that's the part that gets lost uh, in the whole sequence. Marcus Smart almost makes that three. It goes halfway down and loops out. But Max Struess has to continue off the help to then track Derek White, the inbounder, to the bucket. He's a half step too slow, maybe even less, maybe a quarter step too slow. He's right behind him, but he doesn't have enough left. He, you know, he's too far behind to get a block on the ball. Derek White puts it back up and in with a tenth of a second left. It's really at the buzzer, but he, he releases it with a tenth of a second left. It's off in time. The bucket counts silence and stunned silence in South Beach. Half the arena thinks they've won the game because they didn't realize Derek White had put the ball back up and in. And then it's absolute shock around the arena when they realize the bucket counts. They're going to review it. It stands. Boston wins. I was watching it with my roommate. We were shocked. We thought it was over. We couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it that Boston was able to get the putback off in time. Derek White deserves a, a heck of a, a heck of a lot of credit for staying with the play. And he forces a game seven in Boston. First time ever a team's come back from 3-0 and had game seven at home in a best of seven NBA playoff series. And then I just, I almost don't know how to explain what happened in game seven. It's a very, uh, crazy situation i have to say maybe i should start ignoring my my gut feelings because i thought the the heat were done i really i thought they'd keep it close but i really thought boston was going to pull it off i really did they had the momentum you have an incredible moment at the end of game six to save your season chance to pull off history in boston on your home floor boston's normally very tough to beat in elimination games at td garden but man, do you have to give the Miami Heat some credit. Very similar to how the Boston Celtics need to handle Game 6. It's exactly how Miami needed to handle Game 7. Hot start. And to be fair, from the field, Miami struggled. But so did Boston. Miami clicked first on the offensive end of the floor. And that changed everything. That changed the game completely. Miami wins the first quarter and then and then extends their lead in the second quarter. That was extremely important. Extremely important not only for Boston, or beg your pardon, for Miami, not only was it important for them to lead at the half, but to lead by as many points as possible at the half. 
And that really hurt Boston, I think, in the third quarter. There was a couple of moments when Miami was up by like 10 or 12, and then they'd push it to 16. They'd push it to 17. And then Boston would come back and have a little bit of a run. But it wasn't when it was a seven-point game. It's when it was like a 13-point game. The bigger lead you have in a in a winner-take-all game, the better. Because then a crazy run can be neutralized a little bit easier. An 8-0 run doesn't look as bad when you're up by 16 as opposed to when you're up by 10. It's a totally different thing. So when Boston went on a couple of big runs in the third and one or two in the fourth, Miami's lead was so big that it, it didn't matter. At one point, Derek White has a crazy N1 to make it like a nine-point game. Boston's going nuts, and I'm like, yeah, but it's a nine-point game. Miami, Miami gets to look up at the scoreboard and be like, oh, we're fine. A couple buckets, we're back up by 13. Like, Miami never really lost control of this game. And I will say the Tatum ankle injury on the first play of the game, I think it definitely impacted the end of this game. There's no question. Tatum was not the same in, in game seven as he as he was in the in the last three games of the series. So I definitely think that that played a role because like the likes of Derek White and a little bit of Jalen Brown, although he struggled from the field, he was really poor shooting in game seven, but he had 19 points. Those were the kind of performances you need the role players to have. You need the role players to step up. And Marcus Smart, Derek White, and Al Horford, they just didn't do enough on the offensive end of the floor. And Miami ends up steamrolling Boston in the fourth quarter. I mean, they're really... But by, by the seven or eight minute mark in the fourth, the game was over. Game was essentially done. And Boston fans started filing out around the, the four or five minute mark left in the fourth. I, I said this while I was watching the game. You got to give Miami a ton of credit. A ton of credit. People were writing their obituaries after game six. Game And frankly, I didn't think they were going to win the game either. I didn't think they were going to go to Boston and save themselves here and save themselves the embarrassment of being the first team to blow a 3-0 lead in an NBA playoff series. But boy, did they step up. Boy, did they, they were ready to meet the moment. And you know what? And inside the NBA and NBA on TNT's coverage did a great job of pointing this out and going back to these clips. After game six, Jimmy Butler said, and it, to be fair, he's made three guarantees. Now he's one for two this postseason. But in his guarantee to win game seven, he said something very important, which is, I'm not going to let this group give up. We will not give up. We continue to believe. That's exactly the mindset they needed to have. Don't ignore the fact that we just blew a 3-0 lead. We have a game seven. We always thought this series could go to game, to, to game seven. It did last year. Focus on winning game seven. That's all you can, just win the game. That's all you can do is try to win the game. You can't control what just happened in game six. You can't control the fact that Boston's wiped out your 3-0 lead. Win game seven. And then you don't have to worry about anything. And Eric Spolstra, I mean, when you, when you have your best player and your leader and your head coach and your leader having these kind of comments. Eric Spolstra comes out after game six and says, I don't know how we're going to do it yet, but we're going to we're going to Boston. We're winning game seven. So I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to go there. And we're going to win game seven. They never doubted it for a second. They never doubted it for a second. They were going to go 
and finish off Boston at some point. Just give them one out of four, right? They just need one. And they get it on Boston's floor in game seven. And frankly, for for Celtics fans, this rubs a little bit more salt into the wound as opposed to a game four defeat for Boston and a sweep for two reasons. Number one, Miami does it on Boston's home floor. Very rare, although Golden State did it last year, but very rare that Boston gets eliminated on their home floor, number one. Number two, the other part of this is the fact that they get blown out. The final was 103-84. to It was the lowest offensive output, points-wise, all season for the Boston Celtics. All season. And they were 32-9 and at home during the regular season. I mean, it, it's an incredible defensive effort from the Heat. Tatum injury or not, just incredible defensive effort from the Heat when they needed it most. And the, the, the insult to the injury here, really, is the fact that the Miami Heat, after losing to Boston at home in Game 7 last year, goes to Boston and wins in Game 7 this year, and hoists the Bob Cousy Eastern Conference Champions Award. Bob Cousy a legendary Boston Celtics point guard. And then Jimmy Butler hosts, hoists, hosts, Jimmy Butler hoists the Larry Bird Conference Final MVP. I mean, are you kidding? Are you kidding me? The Heat hoist a Bob Cousy Eastern Conference title trophy and a Larry Bird Conference Final MVP trophy in their building. I mean, it doesn't get more salt in the wound than that. I I mean, that is brutal. Brutal on Boston. The way the game ended in Boston, revenge for last year when it looked like the Celtics were going to make history. And then they do that. And the two trophies the Heat lift are both named after Celtics legends. You can't make it up. And Alonzo Mourning's the one handing over the trophies to Bam and Jimmy. And it's just absolutely gut-wrenching for the Celtics. I mean, the way the Celtics lost the finals last year was brutal. They were 2-1 up. They got absolutely manhandled in the last three games. And the, and the Warriors won it in six in Boston. This one might hurt even more because the Celtics were down 3-0. Looked like they were going to pull it off. Everyone's trying to remind everybody about the Red Sox doing it to the Yankees. And, uh, and the hockey times, it's happened. And like, here go, Boston's doing it again. Here we go. They're going to do it. They're going to pull off another historic 3-0 comeback. And Miami does that in TD Garden. I mean, that's where the impressiveness and the boldness and the bravery comes in. The mental toughness that the Heat culture provides. And it's it's Eric Spolstra. It's Jimmy Butler. I mean, that's how you get it done when your back's against the wall. I don't think the Heat are going to win the NBA Finals. We'll get to more of that in a little bit. But boy, do you have to give the Miami Heat some credit for the way they fended off Boston in this series and didn't let it get away from them in the end. They finally get the win they needed. They absolutely, absolutely 
give Miami a gut punch and then a right upper to the chin in Boston and knocked them out on their home floor. So, again, Eric Spolstra, I mean, really Pat Riley all the way down, but Eric Spolstra and Jimmy Butler, they deserve a ton. I mean, and actually, actually, I'd be remiss. I'd be remiss. And I'm, I can actually probably hear some of you, you know, whether you're walking, you're at home, you're out at work, wherever you are listening to the podcast right now, I'm sure there's at least a few of you, and I tip my cap to you because I just remember this, and I'm appalled at myself I didn't bring this up earlier. But one of the other reasons Miami advanced, right? It's been a group effort, a collective effort this whole postseason for the Heat. The Knicks know that as well as anybody. We gave the Heat the you know a tough, tough series, but the Heat were able to outlast us. Caleb Martin. Caleb Martin deserves a huge huge shout out here for the way he played caleb martin goes into boston this this guy has not been in many big games he's been in some not many big games for the heat and he puts up 26 points and 10 rebounds he only missed five shots the whole game he went 11 of 16 in a game seven bam was you know okay in the game Almost had a triple double, but like not not great offensively. Gabe Vincent was okay. Duncan Robinson hit a couple big shots. No mis- make no mistake about that. Max Struess was fine offensively. They needed somebody else. They needed someone to step up. And in in last few games of this series, even in the losses, Caleb Martin has been unbelievable. He's been unbelievably good. So I give him the last word. I, mean, I was thinking he could have maybe stolen the MVP, frankly, from Jimmy Butler in this series the way he finished it but on the whole in the in the heat wins i think jimmy butler maybe edges it but caleb martin they wouldn't win without him i'll tell you that they would not be where they are right now in the finals if it weren't for the former nevada Wolfpack man caleb martin a twin as well uh caleb martin so huge shout out to him i mean incredible performance and i'm glad that i remembered to mention it because he deserves a huge mention in this series and in game seven in particular, he was absolutely tremendous. So that's what the Heat do under Eric Spolstra. They find a way and they pull it out. You got to give them a boatload of credit. I'm going to take a break here. When we come back, the coaching carousel, some Knicks news to talk about during the offseason and some stuff to look ahead for. And then we'll wrap up the show there with some finals previews. All that and more is next on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Midtown and Rebound Podcast Network, all part of the Fans First Sports Network. So I told a little bit of a fib at the end of that last segment. We are going to dive into the Knicks news and talk a little bit about what's to look forward to for the Knicks during this offseason. We will also get to the coaching carousel, but I'm going to finish off the uh, playoffs first here and we'll and we'll dive a little bit into nuggets heat not too much because uh, i do want to get you know more reaction podcasts out there and, and i want to do more podcasts reacting to the finals so we will dive in more you know in the next few weeks you know more than we have been the last week or so <laughs> but let's just give you a quick brief preview here first and foremost First ever appearance for the Denver Nuggets in the NBA Finals. An incredible achievement. This is a Denver team that has come close 
in recent years. In the bubble, they got to the conference finals. They lost to the Lakers. With Melo there, they got to a conference finals. They were eliminated as well. So they've come close on multiple occasions to getting here and to do it against the Lakers, a team they had never beaten, not one time in the NBA playoffs. I mean, I think I believe the Lakers up until that point were 7-0 and against the Nuggets in the NBA playoffs, regardless of the round. They were 7-0. and And for the Nuggets to not only win, but to sweep them and to win it in L.A. in Game 4, to knock LeBron and the Lakers out, it's an incredible achievement. It is, to this point, the greatest moment in Denver Nuggets franchise history. The way they did it, the accomplishment that came with it, and the team they did it against in the building they did it in, I mean, you're not going to get any better than that unless you beat the Heat and win the NBA Finals. That's the only way the Nuggets can top it off is to finish it off in the NBA Finals. Meanwhile, the Miami Heat are back in the NBA Finals for the first time since they lost to the Lakers in the bubble with a very similar team. Not many new players here for the Heat, but the ones that are new, like Martin, (laughs) are really good and have been making an impact. And they got here without Tyler Hero. It's an incredible achievement as well. And again, we've already talked about the mental fortitude they needed to go into Boston and get revenge and win game seven and knock the Celtics out after blowing a 3-0 lead. So really impressive. So number one thing to mention here in this series, Nikola Jokic is playing on another planet right now. I know that Bam Adebayo is a very good defensive player, but I have to say, I don't know how he's going to do against Jokic in this series. Nikola Jokic has been taking on all comers. It doesn't matter if you're strong, tall, or both. He has been manhandling everybody. And because he can step out onto the perimeter and make some threes, he's becoming almost unstoppable. And so that's number one. Number two, Jamal Murray has been stellar all postseason. He's been incredible, putting up wild numbers. Even in the Phoenix series when, you know, Devin Booker and KD were going off, you just, you then look at the Jokic and Murray boxers and you're like, how is no one talking about these guys? They're almost matching Booker and Kevin Durant. And those are the two best scorers in the league, you could argue over the last five, 10 years, especially with Kevin Durant. So the Nuggets have a ton of firepower with their stars. That's number one. Number two, and by the way, Murray Butler could be a really fun matchup in this series. Whether, and to be fair, Butler's going to have to guard Murray at some point. It just it has to happen. But heck of a head-to-head right there as well. The next part of this is the depth, right? And the Heat have been dealing without some of their depth for a good chunk of this postseason. You know, Oladipo, Hero are the most notables. But you look at what Denver's done, and whether it's Bruce Brown, right? Another, you know, just an unsung hero for this team. Aaron Gordon's having a great postseason. Michael Porter Jr. is a is a human microwave. Can absolutely light a team up in a, you know, whether it's the second quarter or the fourth quarter, he can go off and he can carry the Nuggets for a whole quarter, the way he shoots the ball sometimes. He can go cold, for sure, but there's been times during this postseason when the Nuggets have needed a lift, and then Porter scores 12 points in a quarter, and all of a sudden they're up by 15. So that's something, to, that's a really nice piece to have. 
on this team as well. And the Nuggets depth, I mean, it's really from top to bottom. What the Nuggets have in depth is extremely impressive. And the Heat just seem like they might get overmatched in this series. And, and part of that is also because the Heat have to be a little bit drained. Not Maybe not mentally. They're so strong mentally, Miami. I, and I think there's no doubting that after what they did in Game 7. But physically, and now you have to go to Denver for Games 1 and 2, where the altitude's insane. The way Miami has physically had to go through these last two series, right? The way that the Knicks series played out, it was a very physical series. Knicks took them to six games. And then the way that this is all played out as well in the Boston series. Because again, if Miami sweeps Boston, this wouldn't be a factor what I'm about to bring up, right? It just wouldn't come up. It would not really be as big of an issue. But simply because of the fact that Boston forces a game seven, surely, right? I mean, surely you look at this now and you go, man, oh man, how, how, how did the Heat get back up for this series? Physically, that that's my biggest concern. Physically, how do they get back up for it? And the answer is, I don't know. Denver's going to be well-rested. They've got the altitude on their side. I mean, the Heat, I could see them tiring out in these first two games and going down 0-2 very quickly. If if Denver's clicking on all cylinders, Denver could easily go up 2-0 in this series. So those are the factors I'm, I'm kind of bringing to the table here. With all that being said, I'm going to give the Heat a couple games in this series because of Jimmy Butler, because of the togetherness of this group. They have Bam, they have Kevin Love to deal with Jokic. It's it's just not going to be enough. And I, I think it's going to be a, a Denver win in the NBA Finals for the first time. I think they're going to do it in six games. Could be five. I could see it in five, but I'm going to say six. Give Miami some credit here because they deserve it. Heat, Heat will make this a tough series at times, but I just think it's going to be too much Denver, too much Jokic, too much Murray. Too much depth, too much Denver. I go with the Nuggets in six games to win the NBA Finals and to make history and win an NBA title for the city of Denver for the first time in franchise history. We'll see. We'll see, but I think they're going to do it. I think this is their year. I think they're going to beat the Heat and win the NBA title. Real quick, before we get out of here, two more topics to get to. The Knicks news I'll touch on first because there's not a ton, but I do want to look ahead to what is to come. There's going to be a lot of talk about what happens with Julius Randle. What are the Knicks going to do to improve the team? Does it involve moving Julius Randle? How, how are the Knicks going to do with the draft? We'll have plenty of draft coverage for you during the offseason. It's one of the staples of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast. Make no mistake about that. We get plenty of draft coverage in. That will kick off in the next couple of weeks. So we really will be jumping in to that quite a bit. And we'll give you some options for where the Knicks could potentially pick in this year's NBA draft. The other part that I want to bring up as well is just depth moves. What are the Knicks going to do? Are they going to move some guys around like Derek Rose, for example, is someone that, you know, will we see him again in a Nick uniform? Probably not. We'll see. Like those, those kind of moves as well. We'll have to keep up to date on 
and, and see what happens moving forward. So not as much Nick news as I would have liked to go through, but the season's not over yet. There'll be plenty to get to uh, as the next few weeks unfold. Last topic's a big topic. It's a big topic. The NBA coaching carousel has been very interesting over the last two and a half weeks. I mean, there's just no mistake about that. The, the first thing to bring up is multiple big coaches got fired. Right, Monty Williams gets let go by the Phoenix Suns. That was the big first shoe to drop, right? Um, actually, the day after that was the whole <laughs> revisiting the John Morant gun situation, another gun situation with him on social media. That's for a different time, but a lot happened in, in that week is what I'm trying to say. That happens. Then Doc Rivers, a couple days later, he gets fired by... The Sixers, and, and rightfully so. The way the Sixers season ended was absolutely unacceptable. And it continues to be a weird trend going on with Doc Rivers. Just can't seem to get it done in these big series late in the postseason. And Philly, again, can't clear the conference second round hurdle. And it's been the bane of their existence under this new, or not new anymore, but under this long process. Then, the Philadelphia Inquirer had a report that hints that James Harden could leave Philly in a, you know, basically a reuniting with Houston, which would be a very bit of an odd situation if James Harden wants to win an NBA title, but could lead to a restructure of the team around Joel Embiid as well. So that's a very, uh, <laughs> that's a crazy situation. So uh, in, in the mix of all that, by the way, we obviously know Nick Nurse, not the Raptors coach anymore. Adrian Griffin gets hired. Seton Hall grad, by the way. Seton Hall alum, shout out Pirates. Gets hired with Toronto, right? Nick Nurse gets the Sixer job, which was a very interesting one. Because remember, Mike Boonholzer also got let go. So, and actually, I just mixed up my teams there. Adrian Griffin got hired by the Bucks. He's a former Toronto assistant. That's why I mixed it up. Nick Nurse goes from Toronto to Philly, right? So that's where the, the coaching carousel really starts to come in. Then you look at where there are still some coaching openings. I mean, the whole, I'll reset it a little bit here, but like, the last few weeks for coaching have seen a lot of moving pieces, right? Monty Williams moves, right? Or I should say, Monty Williams gets fired. That's what I really should say. That was kind of the big first shoe to drop during this, you know, during this off season. We've we've already talked about some of the weird, uh, the weird coaching. Interviews, J.J. Reddick getting interviewed, interviewed for the Raptors job. Steve Nash, I think, was involved in some coaching stuff as well, you know. But Adrian Griffin goes from Toronto assistant to be the Bucks head coach after Mike Budenholzer got fired, right? Monty Williams gets fired, and now apparently Detroit is trying to hire Monty Williams. That would be a very interesting situation. Make no mistake about that. Again, Griffin goes to the Bucks, So the Raptors... 
have a list of guys they're looking at right now. And that's really what I was trying to get back to. What's going to happen there? You know, Nick Nurse becomes the Philly coach, which I thought was odd. Just felt like a very odd uh, decision. You know, really, really weird choice, in my opinion. But, hey, we'll see, right? Uh, it just, I, I don't see the fit. I don't necessarily see the fit there. But we'll see. You know, apparently the, the Sixers weren't the only team looking at it. Phoenix was also trying to see if Nick Nurse would be willing to to take over that job as well. So that stuff's very much up in the air. As far as we know, with Joe Mazzula, he's safe. With the Boston Celtics, for now, he only had one season. But so that's that's getting interesting as well. Now, the Suns, look at the, the Suns side of things. They're down apparently, to three coaches. Those three coaches are Kevin Young, which is a bit of a surprise, Doc Rivers, and Lakers NBA championship coach during the bubble year, Frank Vogel is involved as well. So that could be very interesting going forward as well. And then, of course, where's Mike Boonholzer going to, he- going to end up? That's a big shoe to drop during this NBA offseason as well. Because he was in the mix for the Sixer job as well. And he's had a few weeks, almost a month, to really you know, look around and see what's available and for people to reach out to him and another, another NBA championship coach. So, going to be a very interesting next couple of weeks in the coaching carousel in the NBA. Bucks have made their move with Adrian Griffin. Sixers make their move with Nick Nurse. Doc Rivers and Frank Vogel are the leading candidates for the Phoenix job, you would think. And then what happens with Mike Budenholzer? Does he go to Toronto? What Toronto think about it? Or do they go off the board with someone like a Steve Nash or a J.J. Redick or somebody else? Very interesting stuff. We'll leave it there for this week's episode of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast. Thank you all so much, as always, for listening to the show. We'll be back to cover the NBA Finals and much, much more at the end of this NBA season. Plenty of Knicks news to get to in the weeks to come as well. And we can't wait to break it all down for you right here on the Midtown and Rebound Podcast Network, Fans First Sports Network. One final time, thank you so much as always for listening to the show. Have a great week, and we will see you all next time on the Shock Shock Knicks Podcast, on the Midtown and Rebound Podcast Network, on the Fans First Sports Network. Thank you, as always, for watching, and we will see you all next time.